0: Good morning, and welcome to Picpod seventy-one. Um, we're recording during the twenty twenty-three Pediatric Critical Care Society conference in Edinburgh, and I have—we have—have um, cornered uh, Lindsay Justice, who is uh, from the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, who's done loads of work on improving ward rounds. So, Lindsay, if you could, if you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you've been doing.
1: Thanks for having me today. I'm uh, excited to be here. I am a nurse practitioner in the cardiac ICU at Cincinnati Children's, and I've been there for about 16 years. I feel like uh, Rounds is one of those necessary evils that you know we all have to participate in day in and day out. Um, it's how we spend a lot of our time. It's where we communicate really vital, important information, and yet, Quite often, there are portions of it, maybe all of it, depending on the day, that feels really dysfunctional. Um, and unfortunately, that can contribute to frustration and people maybe not being their best selves because they're frustrated. They can't focus anymore because it's lasted through their lunchtime. Um, and the patient is really who suffers because we're not communicating at our best. And so, I've really, I feel like I've gone through multiple iterations of trying to improve rounds over time. And once you think you've improved it, then just give it some time and it'll lag again or team members will change or circumstances will change and you need to improve it again, maybe differently than you needed to improve it in the past. And so it's just, I feel like potentially going to be my life's work to (laughs) improve rounds. but we've done a couple of things. So uh, about seven years ago, we evaluated all kinds of things. We evaluated how long we spent rounding on different categories of patients based on acuity. We evaluated people's satisfaction with rounds. We did some like spaghetti diagrams of our actual course through the unit and how we went here and there and no uh, good uh, Uh, streamlined process to just minimize our transit time. Uh, We looked at the number of people that are physically present and like crammed into this small space all trying to Um, interject. And then we one of the cool things that we were able to do is evaluate the effectiveness of our communication during rounds. We developed a tool. We called it the REACT survey. So we'd walk around saying, how do you react to rounds? How do you react to rounds? It's the Rounds Effectiveness Assessment and Collaboration tool. (laughs) Because everything, of course, needs a good acronym. Um, And so we literally at the end of rounds for each patient, we had the nurse, the uh, presenting nurse practitioner or fellow, and the attending each fill out this survey about the plan of care that we had literally just finished talking about, like five seconds ago. So we finished the plan, I hand each of them a survey, and then they each fill out what their understanding of the plan for the day was. And I mean, you would be shocked, right? That like we literally just finished rounding on this patient and we compared the agreement of the responses between those three people that participated on rounds on that patient and our baseline percent of agreement was like 60
2: percent.
0: 60
1: percent? Yeah.
2: So were you you recording your decision-making? Because who was the arbiter? Were you the arbiter? Uh, So
1: the arbiter was the record, the patient note, for the plan of care that day. Um, But quite honestly, uh, the what mattered most is that all the people caring for that patient agreed, so it actually doesn't matter if the plan for the day was to wean the epi, and every other person on rounds uh, said that our plan was to you know leave it the same or go up on it. The point was, did the people that were gonna proceed from rounds and Contribute to that patient's plan of care. Agree on what the plan of care was.
0: Um, so the sixty percent was was agreement not with the written plan, with each um, other, but um, but with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so was that your your headline metric which you looked at?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was our headline metric. Yep.
2: I'm sort of interested in terms of how you carry out your ward rounds in the US. First of all, what time of the day do you start? Number two. Are parents excluded from your unit when the ward rounds are being carried out? And number three, is there any teaching that goes on at, at bedside at all during the ward round?
1: All great questions and things that uh, come up and are variable across every rounding team um, and lots of things that have been reported about in the literature. but to answer your question specifically, we start our rounds uh, at 9 a.m and the reason for that is that we have already had a, um, a surgical rounds is what we call it where you know we're sitting down with the um, cardiothoracic surgeons to and that's around a table outside of the unit not at the bedside where we're just quickly running through um, high level plans and how the patients are doing Um, so we have that rounding process before we come into the unit and sometimes some teaching conferences or surgical planning conferences or those types of things so that's why we contributes to rounding later um, which can impact the team, right? Because the later you start, the later you get done, and the later you start to accomplish your work for the day. Um, So it can be problematic and uh, spoiler alert, we uh, just recently looked at streamlining our surgical rounds process because we felt like it's delaying our start time and some inefficiencies in communication there were making people really frustrated by the time they ever got to the unit to round. And then that impacts the way we are with nurses and families and everyone.
0: Streamlining, streamlining is interesting. So efficiency is good. Um, but one of the problems with looking at ward rounds is, an, and we had this on our units that uh, we, did a, we did some work on trying to make ward rounds better. And unfortunately, the metric chosen was time. So a good ward round started on the dot at 10 o'clock, I'll start, um, and it finished as soon as possible. So short was good and on time was good. You got no dispensation for there being a cardiac arrest call in the A&E at 5 to 10. You got no dispensation for a parent on the ward round who had to talk and had to talk for for a while, so quality is very different, often to these measurable metrics, um, and a focus on time has a really serious risk of just focusing on time. And I can hand over a full unit in five minutes, and I've done that. I've done that. I'm um, two colleagues who I know I just you know just flick through the patients, and that's it. But is that quality or not? And so that's, that's really important to solve that tension.
2: There's still two questions yeah. that you have to answer, because th- those really do matter as far as the timing of the award yeah. round is concerned, isn't it?
1: Yeah, shorter is not better. Um, accomplishing effective rounds in the shortest amount of time is the <clears throat> goal, yes. but the key is the effectiveness of what happens during that time frame. And so to circle back to your question, um, we do have rounds um, open to uh, family members. They are included. Uh, There's this um, concept of family-centered rounds that people report out about a lot. Um, And I think that we would say we do family-centered rounds, but I... What you see in the literature is that families don't necessarily feel like they're at the center of rounds necessarily. It all depends on how you do it, right? Do you just let them stand there while we rattle on in our jargon, or do you actually invite them, their presence? Do you invite them to be in the circle? Do you um you know turn to them and ask their input on things that they like how do you think your, your son looks today or like how do you think the feeds have been going or what you know do you think it would be best tolerated that kind of thing um, so meaningful inclusion is important otherwise they're just sort of standing there and then it brings about another question and you asked about teaching and when families are on rounds there's this perception that maybe we shouldn't teach we shouldn't like ask questions of the trainees because it's going to make them feel uh insecure or like they don't look like they know things in front of the families and so When you have families present on rounds, the way that you present teaching matters. And um, so directly saying to them, like, this is an opportunity for education. I'm going to go into some concepts that may or may not even pertain to what's happening with your child right now, but it could pertain to this diagnosis. So we're going to talk through it, and we're all going to learn together. Um, And making them feel comfortable that, like, it's okay if the trainee doesn't know everything. This is an opportunity for learning. And then the other thing that gets talked about a lot is nurse-led rounds or nurse participation in rounds. And I think that um, people say they're doing it to variable degrees. And then the question is, Like, how does the nurse feel about their input? Like, is the team actually listening? Or does the team sort of let them say their spiel and then just go on and like, does the presenting provider repeat everything the nurse just said? That doesn't make them feel very valued. Does the team actually wait for the nurse to be present and able to participate? Or do they only participate if they happen to be free at that time? there's some studies that have talked about schedule-based rounds, where you plan an order how you're going to round on patients in the ICU, which I find laughable. I would love to know how people actually accomplish that. I feel like every time I've ever tried to say, we're going to round in this particular order, you know, the unit's like, I'll show you. <laughs> you are not.
2: <laughs> well, it'll be two hours later, you're still sort of doing the rounds on the single patient. Exactly.
0: The so nurse layer to or the nurse participation—they're very, they're very different things. Uh, we tried for a while to get the bedside nurse to present the patient and and that was the presentation. Um, that came from a project from some from some very enthusiastic and keen nurses who wanted to do this. The problem was that they were probably the outliers, and there were lots of nurses who couldn't think of anything worse. Um, and they just did, didn't you know I'm saying they as a group but but we need to be careful not to listen to the to the noisy outliers we need also, we also in anything we need to listen to the the quiet ones who actually have to do it um so that that unfortunately stopped. it was you know and was supported by the medical team. But actually it was the individuals at the bedside who didn't want to. It's very different to respecting a nurse's opinion at the bedside and asking them for, uh, for their viewpoints and their feelings. and just their, uh, Because we, we, as doctors, we, we pop in and see a patient and then we just fly, fly away. And they're at the bedside for 13 hours. They know much more than we do about what the patient feels like and smells like and is like.
1: Yeah, I think those are all really important points. I think that giving the nurses a platform and a specific time where um, they feel like their input is valued is important. And I think your rounding team can decide in collaboration with the nursing team what that meaningful um, participation is and it may look different across different units. Um, in our unit, we also tried having the nurses present like everything, and then um, it became a problem because depending on how comfortable they felt or how experienced they were, um, sometimes they would present like unnecessary information for long periods of time, and that contributed to, then to the provider team not listening, and then it contributed to them not feeling valued. And so what we did, um, for one, we flipped it a little bit where the presenting nurse practitioner or fellow starts rounds to like sort of gather everyone's um, attention. Like this patient is a, you know, give your one liner and the relevant 12 hour events. And then the nurse has their spot and it is actually in a written script that we carry with us to every bedside rounds um, and the script uh, for the nurse is fine-tuned on the things that both the nurses and the providers felt were the most valuable so for example our nurses can titrate inotropic infusions and so what their epi was on two hours ago when I pre-rounded might not be what it's on right now or they may have up titrated on feeds, so there's a new rate that I uh, was aware of, or they've recently had to turn up their FIO2, or you know those types of things, and so we've really honed in on the things that the team would find most useful um, and most valuable. And then we circle back, and the nurse practitioner or fellow takes over the presentation, and they their presentation starts again with an assessment statement and a plan. So there is no data. So any meaningful data that we're going to actually talk about in theory, will have come from the nurse and not get repeated. Unless I want to say, like, based on that venous saturation that the nurse presented, my assessment is that, you know, the patient is in low output, and therefore my plan for the day is, you know, so on and so forth.
0: You just used the very uh, good little words, in theory. Mm -hmm. So is that because, in practice, because we work with human beings, and they're variable, and you have different people with different priorities and different skills and talents. Um, Does does it work in practice or is it better on paper than in practice?
1: I would say it does work in practice. Probably the answer to both of your questions is yes. Like It is better on paper than in practice, but I think it really does work. The variables are... Um, the humans that are presenting the information and, um, you know, rotating trainees who may or may not be as familiar or or comfortable with our rounding process. And so sometimes they need reminders, but because we have this laminated sheet that is a script and we carry it with us, we can can help to provide some real-time guidance.
2: Do you think that scripted, structured presentation would make it easier for inexperienced nursing staff or junior staff to do a pre- decent presentation
1: yeah absolutely because they don't have to wonder what they should present <laughs> it's all right there for you yeah,
2: i'm, a, I'm a, a father and I, one thing i always want to do is to sort of incorporate parents at what stage of your rounding do you de- give the parents the information of the days the day's plan so to speak
1: yeah, so um, we do make a pointed effort to include families by inviting them to come to the circle of rounds, um, and then at the end of the nurse practitioner fellows presentation, after they've gone through the plan by systems, we have a um, daily goal like write down and read back process um and so it's like the top 3 goals for the day are um and it can be big picture things like wean the ventilator towards extubation hopefully tomorrow or you know up titrate on feeds or wean sedation like sort of big bucket type things um so we um summarize the goals for the day at the conclusion of um the presentation of the plan, and that's done, obviously, the attending physician is there helping the nurse practitioner or fellow present their plan the entire time, and they'll certainly weigh in throughout the systems-based presentation, but it's really in that um, daily goals section that the attending is like, yep, I've heard everything you've said, and I'm in agreement, and our goals for the day are, you know, X, Y, and Z. a sit-down process, It's not a sit-down process, no. No, no,
2: and you don't go out and sort of do it in a privacy of a quiet room?
1: Nope, nope, we are there at the bedside doing it in real time. Mm-hmm. And then those goals get written down on a sheet that the nurse maintains through the day. So then when we come back and maybe do an afternoon handoff or we actually do another set of rounds in the evenings with the night team and the night nurses, and we'll circle back to those goals and say, well, have we accomplished our goals? Why haven't we accomplished them? Do we need to change a plan in order to accomplish them? Or the patient changed so this goal isn't going to be, you know, met today.
2: Are the family aware of the plans and do they have a copy of the same plans that you made?
1: They are aware uh, if they're present on rounds and they um, are, um, uh, if they're not present on rounds they are, um, I'm going to use the word in theory again, updated by the nurse or uh, one of the providers. We all try to make a pointed effort to call them um, but I would love for those goals to be uh, written on, there's like a family communication board in the back of the room, and I, I would really love for them to always land there. Um, but that's one thing that we had been able to accomplish early in our improvement work, and it just hasn't been sustained because uh, we didn't have really a reliable, like, who writes it there, and does it happen every day, and or sometime, you know? So, uh, another opportunity for improvement is to get that written on there.
0: Um, so, how long does your round take? Do you start at nine o'clock. When do you normally finish? I mean, I don't know um, how many beds you've got, but uh...
1: yeah. So, we have capacity for 34 beds. Uh, our average daily census is usually somewhere in the mid 20s, actually. Um, and in general, our rounds are done by around 11, so about two hours, and certainly that can change if uh, things happen.
2: So it's just just a single team going around the. the there are no separate? Two, two teams. Two exactly. teams, yeah. so about 10 patients each. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. That makes it manageable. Yep, absolutely.
0: Um, so your concordance of 60%, which is disappointing in that it's, you know, literally within seconds of a plan being made. Um, how can we make that better? Because because you put all those scripts in place, and is the 60% after that was in place or beforehand?
1: Great question, I'm glad you had me circle back to that. So our baseline percent of agreement was about 60%. And then we implemented um, the nurse presentation sheet, And we implemented the daily goal write-down and read-back process, Um, and we uh, were able to get our percent of agreement up to about 82% which is better, obviously. Uh, there's still some patients that we finish rounding and for whatever reason, maybe it's a distraction, a phone call, a patient text, a patient condition, something happened and somebody lost focus along the way um, and uh, you know missed out on a component of the plan. Um, but that is the purpose, then, of having the goals written down, and so we can all refer back to those, even if maybe I was not as clear about them.
0: Um, So if someone says this is the plan and they're right, that's obviously right. If someone says this is the plan and they're wrong, that's wrong. If they say, I don't know, if they're brave enough to actually admit they don't know something, actually that would, I hope, trigger them to... Go to the written plan and find out did you evaluate i don't knows as wrong or well, well it's not right but as but wrong or a third category
1: yeah that's a great question um i we actually didn't have an i don't know on the survey so the i think probably their default to i don't know would have been one of two things either they would have left it blank and then that would have triggered a lack of agreement between the people responding. But they also could have used it as an opportunity to be like, I think I missed something. Can I clarify this goal for the day? And there was no punishment for like seeking clarity about the goals. And then you could then mark it down. So,
0: Did you enthusiastically punish people for using the horrific phrase, not as far as I know, which makes me itch every time I hear it because it strongly implies no, but it also tells people actually I've got no idea. Um, I strongly feel that if you don't know you just say I don't know. And saying not as far as I know just just makes me come out in a rash.
2: The one thing that you're going to delete is, is uh, you know, and you edit is the thing I'm just about to say is that when people say... I, you know that that phrase that you use. Essentially, they were vacant. They were probably not there for that short period of time. It happens. I mean, I think they may have had a difficult night or whatever it is. But you're right. It's. I don't know, and that's fine. You move on then. So, so I mean, he's going to edit all that out because that I sounds like. Words, a <laughs> <words>. <laughs> because that's that is an important sort of. Uh, they ought to have the ability to. They ought to have the ability to be completely clear about that. I'm sorry, I was daydreaming or I was uh, thinking about the the next patient or whatever it is. So they often find that, you know, and it's so common for people to sort of be polite by sort of saying, what's what's your favourite phrase again? As far uh,
0: as I know. um, As far, not far as I know. I can't bring myself to say it.
2: (laughs) Not as far as I know. I think that's what happens. Can I just go back to our conversation? Tell me, how many trainees do you have? at any time on your ward, and do they have individual patients that they would follow through for the rest of the week, or how how does the system work?
1: So, like I mentioned, we have two teams that manage patients in our unit. Each team has one attending physician, one uh, fellow, which is either a critical care fellow or a cardiology fellow, Mm -hmm. and one uh, nurse practitioner. So... Um, the nurse practitioners actually, uh, we have a pretty well sustained retained team, um, but certainly at any time someone could be in orientation. Um, but we are lucky to have a team of pretty experienced nurse practitioners. so they uh, are not, uh, you know, in training or rotating or whatnot, they're there um, consistently. But that being said, they're there for three to four days a week and those may or may not be consecutive days, so the handoffs and things like that may contribute to um, how familiar they are with the patients. The attending takes service for one week, and then the trainees take service for one month. Um, And so they do um, like one month during their first year of training, two months during their second year, and then another month during their third year.
2: What time do they start in the morning?
1: they start around 6:30 in the morning
2: and finish,
1: and finish around 6 p.m
2: okay,
1: so uh-huh. it's a hour day. yeah or they actually do um, take night call while they're on service so they may do a 24-hour call and stay through rounds the next day um, so that is uh long for them and certainly can uh, make for a painful <laughs> post-call rounding experience yeah.
0: So the overnight shift is from 6.30 till midday?
1: Yeah, for the fellows, they... Um, if they're on service, they'll come in at six thirty in the morning and they'll stay through till we try to get them out by 10 the next day. We'll make a concerted effort to like round on their patients first. Um, if they are, if, and we also have fellows that take call at night that aren't on service. So then they come in around, um, four in the afternoon just allows us our, uh, proper handoff time. Um, and then they'll just stay till they hand off in the morning.
0: Um, because it doesn't seem reasonable to ask any human being to be sharp and on it 27 hours into a intensive care shift. You know, they, they, it's hard, isn't it? And at my level now, yes, we do 24 hour on calls, but usually I don't have to be in in all night. And if I am in, it's kicking off, so I don't feel tired. Um, but the hardest shifts are those where it's just low level work all night long, and it's just impossible to keep your brain firing at the level it should be for that amount of time.
2: It's become illegal in the European countries as well as in England, because it's just unsafe, we we feel.
1: Yeah, I think that we are probably headed that way um, in the States. There's certainly been a lot more work hour restriction rules that have come through, and Interestingly, overnight, we have one nurse practitioner and one fellow who split the unit. And the hospital says the nurse practitioners are not allowed to work 24 hours, but the fellows are still doing it. So I would imagine that that might not last forever.
2: What's, a, what's so interesting is that the, the IOM in the U.S. did a survey of trainees, and they were suggesting reducing working hours, and they voted against it. They felt that it wasn't very good for their training, so I think it's horses for courses. I think some people like long hours because they feel that their training will be concertina over a very short period of time, and they become experts at whatever it is. And the others would want to sort of work shorter hours over a longer period of time. Again, I think it's very much horses for courses, isn't it?
0: Um, but the six thirty start—that's that's pretty brutal, and. And really difficult for, for trainees with families and, and other, other needs and who, um, who might have to travel. Yeah. Um, we start at half past eight and you can drop a child off at nursery at eight o'clock and still be ready to work at, at half past eight. But 6.30, um, how does it work? Does you, um, but you have nurseries which, which open at five and you can drop, you, drop a child off there?
1: Our hospital does have a uh, child care facility that um, our trainees get like first priority into. The facility always has a waiting list, and one of the reasons, I think, is because of their hours. Um, so they are open at 6 a.m., Um, But it's painful for, you know, dragging your children out of bed that early, too. Um, So I know for myself, I ended up finding a uh, nanny that would come to my house uh, at, you know, 5 a.m. when I needed to leave for work uh, and just basically be there until my kids were ready to go to, you know, school or a childcare facility at the time that those places were open because I couldn't do it. So
0: all his resources, the, the the checklists, the work which you've done, is that, is that available for the world to look at and download?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The react survey and the work that we accomplished with the implementation of the daily goal, write down and read back process, uh, was published in, um, uh, Peds critical care medicine um, and then we just recently published the um, lean work that we did for our surgical rounds process that is available in cardiology and young
0: um, thank you lindsay that's that's fascinating work and really really good to to compare our practices and and um, how you do it and as you said um quality is really complex um, but if we can make the the process efficient and um, high quality and that's what it wants, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely the goal. And thank you for having me today. I appreciate it.
0: We've really enjoyed having you here. I think it's a
2: completely sort of different world in the States, isn't it? <laughs> so in that sense, we've, we've educated ourselves, yeah. haven't we? Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thank you.